Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022, and this is show number 912. This week, our guest on Chit Chat Across the Pond is Bart Bouchatz with a talk that's part security bits, part Chit Chat Across the Pond light. Bart has been asked to speak in a Mac users group on the subject of security, and he worked up a presentation on the subject. His goal in the presentation is to provide listeners with a better understanding of the types of threats that are out there and what the motivations of the threat actors are. There's a call to action in this talk by Bart. He wants to know if you think the information he presents will be valuable to a Mac user group. I mostly kept my opinions to myself because we want to hear from you. I gave him feedback on the side. The best way to provide feedback from this talk is to use our PodFeet Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can tweet Bart at bbooshots if you can figure out how to spell it, or you can make a comment on the blog post for this episode. In the show notes, there's a link to a slide deck presentation for Bart's talk over on SharePoint of all places. Hope you'll take a listen and tell us what you think. I bought my first USB-C Mac in 2015 when the MacBook Adorable first came out. That was seven years ago. You realize that's how long Macs have had USB-C on them? Anyway, I've been a huge advocate of USB-C ever since that day. I've gotten into flame wars on the topic as recently as this week from people clinging to the old and undeniably irritating USB-A connector. Now, these people don't love USB-A either, but they make the valid point that a lot of devices are still USB-A when you buy them new today, so they think there is a need for those ports on our devices. My approach has been to only buy devices with USB-C whenever possible. If that option isn't available, I keep a pile of chiclet-sized USB-A to USB-C adapters in my desk drawer and in my travel bag. They're inexpensive and easy to carry, so I could easily dedicate them to each device whose manufacturer insisted on living in the past. At my desk, I have a CalDigit TS3 Plus dock that provides a plethora of ports for my computing needs. The back connectors are pretty much fully populated, and on the front, I keep the single USB-C and single USB-A ports open for the occasional need to transfer data or maybe charge a device. Now, that sounds ideal, but it's not. My 14-inch MacBook Pro wants a 97-watt power supply, but the TS3 Plus only provides 87 watts of power delivery. The front USB ports on the dock, under certain conditions, complain like Scotty saying, I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. A few years ago, I purchased the Hyperjuice 100-watt USB-C GAN charger. That's gallium nitride. That's the ones that are, are very small for the amount of power they have. Anyway, the Hyperjuice 100-watt GAN charger cost $99. It's not all USB-C, though. It has two USB-A and two USB-C ports on the front, and it has a flip-out US wall power plug. I plugged it into a power strip next to my desk, and with a bit of a reach, I am able to plug in two USB-C devices and the occasional USB-A devices. Uh, Device, I should say. It's great for travel because I could charge my laptop with it and still have three ports open. Well, the three ports are open, but I can't really charge much there because my laptop eats up most of the juice. Instead, for travel, I continue to carry my much tinier, dedicated 65-watt GAN charger from Eggtronic. I know it's counterintuitive that I use a 65-watt charger when I just finished saying that 100 watts was barely enough. If there's only 65 watts available, my laptop will still charge, but it just charges more slowly. Even with my 16-inch Intel MacBook Pro in the past, it easily charged overnight, which is all I need. 
Even at home, the Hyperjuice GAN charger still wasn't ideal. Because of the flip-out power design, which is great on travel, it took up three spots on my power strip. And more importantly, it had those pesky old-fashioned USB-A connectors. I found I had to buy chiclet-sized USB-A, I'm sorry, USB-C to USB-A adapters to be able to charge my modern devices with it. Also, reaching way over the table to next to my desk to get to the messy power strip was accidentally giving me a stretch of my obliques, and no one wants accidental core strengthening. My new solution is much more elegant and meets my needs perfectly. It's the Satechi 165-watt USB-C 4-port power delivery GAN charger. It was recommended to me by friend and Osilla Castaway, Norbert Frassa. The charger costs $120, and this one is available for the U.S., EU, Australia, and the UK. The Satechi charger provides a massive amount of power at 165 watts, guaranteeing that I can charge my laptop and three other less power-hungry devices. I'll come back to some detail on how that works. The main reason I bought it is that all four of the ports are USB-C. Instead of a flip-out power port, it has a normal power cord out the back. Now that's a trade-off you may not want to make, but with my setup, it freed up two power ports on my power strip, because the other one, it took up all three. The Satechi charger comes with a cute little stand, so it can sit vertically on my desk and stay firmly in position as I plug and unplug devices. No more oblique exercises are required to add and remove cables. One of the delights of the Satechi charger is that you can mix and match the ports to different power requirements, and you do not have to read tiny little labels to see which one provides how much power. Instead, the power you can consume through it simply depends on how many devices you connect. They explain in their literature that in the, with the four ports, all you care about is how many devices you have connected, and that'll tell you how much power you can use. So if you only plug in one device, that one device can take up to 100 watts. If you connect two things, you get power delivery of 100 watts and 60 watts. That is a lot. You can also have three USB-C devices through power delivery, and you get 60, you can have, I should say, 60, 60, and 45, or 130 and 30. So you can mix and match. If you have low power devices, you could get 100 watts on one and 30 watts and 30 watts on the other two. If you connect all four, you can. that's how you can get 165 watts total. That's 60 watts, 45 watts, 30 watts, and 30 watts. But again, you don't need to know this. You just plug this stuff in and it's going to give you that power. So with my 97-watt power-hungry laptop, I won't be able to do four ports the way it describes, but I can still get 60 watts out of the other ports. Now, I bring up the fact that you can mix and match devices in different ports because you may be wondering why I didn't save myself $10 and buy the Anchor 120-watt GAN 4-port USB-C charger at $110. Well, the Anchor charger looks very similar to the Satechi in that it's a narrow square block with four USB-C ports, but it's more limited in how you can use it, and the maximum power is 120 watts versus 165 watts for the Satechi for $10 more. Now, it does have a cool little blue light on it. I will give it that, but you do get a blue light on the other one as well. Now, the main downside to the Anchor Charger is that you have to pay attention to which port you're using to charge. The Amazon page has a picture to explain all of the different port combinations. The first port supports 100 watts, the second 60 watts, while the third and fourth support only 20 watts. You do need to be able to read the microtext on those ports if you're not sure which way was considered up on this device. The next part of the graphic explains how much power you can draw if you use two ports at the same time. 
If you use the first two ports, they can each draw 60 watts. But if you use the first and third or first and fourth ports, you can draw 90 watts and 20 watts respectively. The graphic has three more combinations explained just for charging two devices at a time. The graphic then goes on to show the combinations for three devices and finally ends with four port charging where you get 50 watts, 30 watts, 20 watts, and 20 watts. You, there's just too much to know. I don't know about you, but my head is spinning. I would never be able to remember these combinations to know which way is the right way to plug in my devices. Maybe you could print out this little diagram and fold it up and tape it to the charger? Well, anyway, while the Satechi charger is only $10 more, I can plug in devices with utter abandon and not worry my pretty little head about it, and I get 45 watts more total power. The Satechi charger is pretty in a subtle dark gray. It sits in its little stand on my desk like a tiny server, and it does its job flawlessly. You can buy it directly from Satechi or on Amazon for $120. I don't know what it is about a computer desk, but cats simply love them. Even cats that are normally standoffish will leap up on your desk and try to lie on your keyboard. Or is it lay? Lay? Lie? I always get those mixed up. Anyway, when they do that, they helpfully drape their tails across your trackpad, making your cursor go all over the place. Our cat Grace, named after computer programmer and Navy Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, who developed the first computer compiler, loves to sleep on my desk when I'm working. Her favorite desk accessory is my Stream Deck. Now, the Stream Deck is a triangular block of plastic with really sharp corners, and yet she considers it a perfect headdress. I like Grace a lot, and I enjoy her company, but there are a few problems with this arrangement. As Grace decides on the exact position she wants to be in to make my Stream Deck unusable, she first feels the need to walk back and forth in front of my display. She covers up about the bottom two-thirds of the display while she's walking, so while she's doing that, I move my windows up really high so I can keep reading and see what I'm writing about while she makes her decision. She also often drags her tail across the top of my display. Now, my webcam is mounted magnetically to the top of the Pro Display XDR, so she can't disturb that. But I keep a rubber duck on top of my display as well. His name is Kevin. Every time I, Grace walks by, she knocks Kevin off the display. Now, I got Kevin, the duck, from Kevin, the man known as Big in Virginia in the chat room, and when he witnessed this problem during a live show, he decided to send me some museum putty to put on Kevin the duck, to hold him in place so Grace can no longer knock him off. However, that means Kevin, the duck, not the man, can no longer assist me quite as well as easily with my programming. But there is one more problem with Grace keeping me company. She sheds like crazy. One of the curses of having had cataract surgery is that fine detail is now extremely obvious to me now. I can't stand seeing all of these little golden hairs all over my desk. Once a week, I take everything off my desk, I raise my display up high, and the entire surface is wiped down with a wet cloth, and all of those pesky grace hairs are gone. Until five minutes after I sit down, when she comes right back up on my desk. Now, I've tried wiping them off with my hands. I've tried simply blowing on my desk, hoping they'll fly off the back. It seems these methods only remove about 80% of the cat hair, and so I'm doubly annoyed that I worked at it and I did a poor job. I have found a solution, and whether you've got a cat or not, you might like what I found. I found a tiny, handheld, USB rechargeable desk vacuum. Now, there's a lot of these on the market, but I chose the Prowlathin USB-C desk vacuum on Amazon for a grand sum of $16. The Prowlathin vacuum comes in white, pink, or the light turquoise that I chose. Like I said, there are other vacuums like this on Amazon, but this one had four and a half stars and with over 2,800 reviews, that sounded pretty good, and I could get it with same-day delivery. 
The Prolithin vacuum looks like a tall, rounded computer mouse. It fits nicely in the palm of my hand, and it stands two inches tall with a rounded top. It has two little handy indents for your fingers, along with a power button that gives a very pleasing feel in your hand. If you flip it over, you'll see that it stands on a series of stiff, radially arranged brushes, and it has a hole in the middle. When you press the power button, you simply slide the vacuum over your desk, and every annoying little cat hair is immediately sucked up inside. I cannot fully express exactly how pleasing this is to use. I'm thinking of going and getting Grace to set her on my desk all the time just so I have more to vacuum up. Listen to this little vacuum. Okay, enough of the demo. To clean the vacuum, the bottom half unscrews from the top half. In the box was a little brush to flick out anything that doesn't naturally fall out when you open it. They also supply a little nozzle you can attach to the hole in the bottom, which could be handy for sucking Cheeto crumbs out of your keyboard. Might be a little more effective if it had a brush on the end of the nozzle to help break loose any crumbs. I tried putting my finger over the nozzle to feel the level of suction, and I couldn't feel any suction at all. So I'm afraid, I suspect that the holes the brushes make in the bottom might make this nozzle less effective than it could be, so don't count on the nozzle being super useful. The Prolithin comes with a micro USB to USB-A charger cable, yes, USB-A, which can be conveniently plugged into the top half of the vacuum right under the prominent power button. The vacuum itself has a green light that lights up when the vacuum is on. When you plug in the included micro USB cable to charge, the power button turns red. When the device is fully charged, it glows blue. The instructions for the Prolithin USB vacuum say that there's a removable battery, but since it's rechargeable, I'm not really sure what kind of battery that would be, and you have to undo a bunch of screws. They also tell you to remove the dust-proof net that goes around the inside of the chamber and clean it with water and let it dry. But for the life of me, I can't see how I would get that netting out. Now, this might be the shortest review I've ever done, but I made up with it in the show notes for photos of my cat using the Stream Deck as a headrest and checking out the Prolithin USB vacuum. The bottom line is, I am in love with this little vacuum. I've been keeping it to the right of my trackpad, and the instant I see a single cat hair on my desk, I reach over, press the button, skid over the hair, and clean it right up. It is so satisfying. Even if you don't have a cat named after a famous computer programmer who sleeps on your desk, the cat, not the programmer, maybe you find crumbs and other cruft on your desk that you think would be fun to clean up. I highly recommend the $16 Polython Desktop USB Vacuum. I don't know if you noticed, but I gave you a week off from Pledge Break last week. You're welcome. I don't know if you noticed that there are no ads in any of the shows produced at the Podfeed Podcast Network. You're welcome for that as well. Now, you might wonder how that can be done. How can she afford to do this show and yet have no ads? Well, it's because generous people who appreciate the fine content we produce here go to podfeed.com Patreon and they choose to support the shows. Pick a weekly month or monthly number. It's that easy. I want to give many thanks to the fine folks who already pledged their support and to those in advance who will go push that button. Well, it's that time of the week again. It is time for Security Bits with Barbu Shots, and I am going to start this episode 
by congratulating Bart on his new job. Oh. Bart has been a uh, system administrator at the University of Maine Newth for a long time and uh, grown in his career, but it was time for him to reach for the stars and try to get a new job in security. And I'll let Bart tell you what the title is and what he's going to be doing as of what, Tuesday? As of Tuesday morning, uh, my email signature will say Bart Bouchot's Maneuth University IT Services Cyber Security Specialist. Woohoo! This has been a long time coming. He's been interviewing and then not getting it and then interviewing again and nobody getting it and all this nonsense. They put him through the grinder for it. But uh, he, uh, luckily for them, they chose the right person, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Um, and also, thank you very much for your help in preparing because you were invaluable. Oh. Absolutely invaluable. There's nothing I like more than critiquing, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you do it you well. It. You do it constructively. <laughs> I like your critiques. Oh, good. They I do helpful. try to sprinkle this part was awesome in between my, what the hell were you thinking here? You know, why did you write that? You one? also, you do something I think is absolutely amazing. You don't have producer syndrome. If something is right, you have no problem in saying, no, that's fine. No need to change anything. Whereas mm. some people in, will think that's wrong. And they will insist on making you change something so they feel they've achieved something. And that, that's not helpful. Whereas you're just perfectly happy to say, no, no, that's it. You're done. That's ready. It's good. Uh, the, uh, I, worked, I worked with a guy who would purposely put mistakes in his drawings as we did drafting for design, <laughs> like on paper with pencils and such. And you had to send it to check. And so he would purposely put in two or three mistakes because a checker can't send it back and say it was perfect. So he would give them these right. glaring errors, you know, off by a factor of 10 on a number or something, and then they'd feel all valuable and everything and not nitpick some little chamfer or something. <laughs> there was uh, something similar with cartoons, Tom and Jerry and stuff like that. They would get in trouble for stuff that the very, very strict regulators would have trouble with during the, the Hayes Code. And so they would intentionally put in really, really bad things so that the bad <laughs> things they actually wanted would get through because the censor would cut the really, really bad stuff and then the other stuff would get through. And Wouldn't there's one or two so cartoons bad. where the really bad stuff got through. Really? Yeah. Oh, the no. Bad, like, oh, where well, they didn't catch it. They, did, they didn't, yeah, they didn't catch it at all. So I think there's one where, like, it's not naughty, naughty, but it's still... I must take it up. Somewhere. Anyway, yeah, it, it's just hilarious. By today's <laughs> standards, it would be prime time for children. Right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But it was just hilarious. Like, how did that make it through the Hayes Code? And the answer is, what, they missed it. <laughs> what? It, what is Hayes Code? Oh, Hayes was some senator who was had a big bean as bonnet about regulating all of the movie industry and stuff. And oh. huh. so there was all of these rules that, like, oh, was it a gay character? They had to have have their comeuppance before the end of the movie. They could never. There could never be a happy ending oh. for a gay character. That was part of the Hayes Code because it was morality. The good guy had to oh. win. The bad guy had to lose. Oh, it was horrific. Ugh. Yeah. Well, let's get back to congratulating Bart. I'm sure everybody here uh, believes that uh, Maynooth University made the right choice. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I, I just couldn't be happier for you. I'm so excited. This is going to be great. I, I am very excited as well. And I now get to say that I am a security professional. Having there been you an go. amateur for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging up your amateur status and going pro finally. <laughs> so someone on the Nasilica Slack, Slack suggested I need a nice hat. <laughs> Oh, there you degrees, go. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, why don't you talk to us about security, Bart? Yes, indeedy. So follow up and feedback. Um, I have done my best to ignore most of this story most of the time, but now that it has come to some sort of end, we should probably mention that Elon Musk now owns Twitter. Um, 
I have no idea what that means for the world. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think, the is there a security angle to this? Well, it's almost certainly going to involve stuff being led onto the platform that wasn't before. I imagine there is going to be all sorts of angles, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't know. Um, the one thing that surprised me, uh, John Gruber actually took the time to read the letter he sent to the advertisers. Remember, advertisers are the customers, not us mm-hmm. users, right? Mm-hmm. And it was surprisingly sane and sensible. So take that as a datum. And wait, <laughs> I, I think Tom Merritt put it perfectly on, on uh, Daily Tech News Show. I think it was Wednesday. So it was uh, the, the deal closed on Friday and they had all these stories about things that he'd said and things that they'd said and things that people thought was going to happen. And he said, OK, let me tell you what we know. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we are done. Yeah. Uh, well, the one theory is, you know, maybe it's a Nixon come to China. Only Nixon can go to China because no one else will be taken seriously. Well, if he now does the right thing, he may be trusted with it because he's seen as being on the right side. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, you can, you can dream. Well, okay. Well, yeah, let's, stick uh, a pin in it. Yeah. <laughs> Hold, yeah. please. Yeah. Um, Clearview AI have made it back into my news feed for the first time in a Clear, while. Clearview AI. Yes. What did I say? Colorview. Oh, well, no, they're clear. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what what was Clearview again? They are a company that sell a facial recognition service to hypothetically just to law enforcement. And they scraped Facebook and Twitter and all of these public platforms to try to build up a database of people. And there have been some quality issues with their results where members of Congress have tried it on themselves and found themselves to be classified as criminals. Little things like that. Uh, And they're sure that's wrong. Okay, just checking. <laughs> Not convicted criminals. Sorry, yes. <laughs> Total difference. Okay. Um, and they, um, they also scraped all the images without permission. So there's a whole Computer Fraud and Abuse Act issue as well. Mm. Uh, but the French have a different issue with it because in French law, you have the right to your own image. It is considered yours, which is a big problem for street photography and stuff. Yeah. So what Clearview AI did is really, really troublesome in France. Uh, so they just got slapped with a 20 million euro fine and told not to do it again. Interesting. Oh, how does that work with street photography? I mean, I'm pretty sure I have posted pictures of the Eiffel Tower that had French people in it. Assuming they're not recognizable, it's okay. And the line between it's just a person in the background and it's a photo of that person is oh, okay. very blurry. And it's all a bit interesting. Yeah. I mean, I took a picture of a waiter. I know that. Had him pose with us. Well, if he <laughs> Maybe posed, that's, that's consent. That's tacit consent. Yeah. You can yeah. make that argument. It, it all gets very messy. It's, wow. it's one of those yeah. countries that it's difficult to be a street photographer in. Um, but now we switch on to happy news. Uh, mm. So... Passkeys, you and I are both very keen to see them take off. I almost got really excited that I was going to get them to install my first passkey. And then I read the words in the US. So PayPal is trialing passkeys for iOS, iPad and Mac users in the United States. Wider rollout coming soon. Okay. So you need us to test it out and get back to you, whether whether it's the dream come true. Well, that would be nice, uh, but I, I have a feeling plenty of artists of castaways will just do that anyway. Because I think they're as keen as we are. So anyway, yeah. there you go. That's now a, that's I, a I'm, big I'm going in there while we're chatting, and I, I do have to log in. I'm assuming it's going to say, would you like passkeys? 
You I may need to not. go puck around in the security settings or whatever. It is still in, it's a beta that's available in the US, so I don't know mm. how shouty they are about it. Um, yeah. Cool, though. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also the kind of site I kind of want protected. Really yeah, like that's that a perfect fishing proof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and also just a little counterpoint. So we all know how Mark Zuckerberg feels about Apple's app tracking transparency. The very simple mm-hmm. feature that makes an app ask if it's okay to track you. I mean, it, <laughs> it's not a big thing. It doesn't block tracking. It just makes the app ask. But Mark is very upset. Well, a counterpoint is the CEO of Snap, who thinks it's a fantastic idea, good for the industry, and helps keep them all honest and on the straight and narrow. So I thought that was a nice point of view to see. That's fun. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, I have two deep dives for you. They're not massively deep. They're kind of, they're fun deep. Um, So the first one is yet another example of an overhyped security story, but it is interesting. So don't set your hair on fire, but do turn your brain on because it's kind of cool. Okay. So we come across this a lot where... All of the incentives line up to make something sound cool, sound more dangerous than it is, because if you're a corporate security researcher, it's in your interest to make your company look like they're amazing geniuses. If you work in education or in academia, it's in your interest to get funding, so you need to make everything you do look amazing. The PR department in a university or the PR department in a company, well, it's obviously what they want to do. People writing news stories, they want clicks. So at every point in the process, it gets amped up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So we regularly get these fire extinguisher stories. But sometimes it's actually just really interesting if you peel it back. So don't set your hair on fire. This is not the end of the world. We're not in amazing danger. But there is something cool going on. This is an example of a technique that can be very interesting in security. It's called side channel attacks. So if you have something that's encrypted or whatever, you can't read it directly, right? Let's say I'm messaging with you over Telegram or whatever. It's all encrypted, so someone watching our traffic sees pure gobbledygook, right? So the main channel is completely encrypted. But they can see information about the information we're sending. Right. So they can see when the packets are going, they can see the size of the packets, they can see the servers the packets are going to. So one of the things that airplanes are doing these days is they're blocking media on instant messaging. And people are going, but how? It's encrypted. How can they do that? And the answer is because the server that hosts the media is a different server to the server that hosts the chat. So they don't know what they're blocking, but they do know it's all media. So they just. So could you, for example, go to youtube.com, but then can't play the video? Or are you thinking like in Telegram, the the, the embedded video won't be be there? Yes. And it's not because they're breaking the encryption. They're just side channel. Well, we know that's a media thing because it's going off to media.telegram.com or whatever the name of the server is, and they just block it. And in the case of the airlines, they were using it as a way to differentiate between free Wi-Fi and paid Wi-Fi. Free uh, Wi-Fi, no videos, paid Wi-Fi videos. It's kind of cool. But there's lots of side channels, and they're often used to break security. So there hmm. were a couple of cases where you could determine people's private keys by listening to the fan sound on their PC, because different if you sent them the right data, you could make their fan ramp up and down, and the pattern of the ramping up and down would tell you about the the key and stuff. We've had all of these cool side channel attacks. But there's a new side channel attack that's attacking uh, encrypted messaging apps. And if you believe the headline, you can use it to determine anyone's location, which sounds horrific. But there are so many caveats that you won't be scared when I'm finished. (laughs) 
But it is cool to think about how the researchers were able to do what they have been able to do. So the researchers realised a few facts. So the first fact they realised is that they can tell the difference, even though it's all encrypted, between the message that goes over and back to put the little tick box when a message has been read and the message itself. So there's probably a different server that worries about the read status than that worries about sending the messages or the packets are a different size. They can tell without being able to see into the packet, this packet is a tick box, this packet is a message. So that was the first thing that they were like, how, that's interesting. How, how again did they figure that out? How, what's I the don't know exactly how, but okay. it's either the size of the packet or the server it's going to. There's going to be something, like even if it's encrypted garbage, it'll be a different shape for want of a better analogy. Okay. Okay. I don't know what it is, but that's a different shape to that one, so it's something different. So they've been able to figure out these are the status message messages. The next thing they realize is that all of these companies have content delivery networks because they're global, they're massive, right? They're dealing with billions of messages a day. And their infrastructure is very static. So today, you're probably using a server somewhere in the greater California area. Tomorrow, you'll be using that same one. Next week, next month, next year, you'll be using the same one. These servers all have really good internet connections. So they're actually always the same speed. So oh. <laughs> you see where this is going? Okay. Right? Okay. We so can it's tell not the speed it's itself, message. it's that it's not changing. Yes. Oh. So that with those three pieces of information, we know which is the tick box and we know the speeds. So we know over time it's going to be really stable. The next thing they did was they would arrange it so that they would exchange a message with the target when they knew they were at work or when they knew they were at home. And so targeted attack, took. not a shotgun. Not a shotgun, because it has to be targeted, which is one of the reasons not to set your hair on fire. There are more reasons okay. coming, but that is one of the reasons not to set your hair okay. on fire. So <clears throat> they send a message when they know you're at home, and they see mm -hmm. how long it takes, and so they benchmark it. And maybe they benchmark your work, and maybe they benchmark your church. They benchmark, say, a handful of places. At any point in the future, they message you, and they measure, with 80% confidence they can tie you to one of the benchmarks. But they have to be able to message you. Two. Ah, there we go. There's the other reason not to set your hair on fire. <laughs> so it's not just that they figure out where Bart is when he's at the university and when he's at home. They're also getting Bart to receive a message and not yeah. have Lock blocked them. them or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So spear phishing, okay. yes. Shotgunning, positively, absolutely no. Maybe even so, a really sharp spear. <laughs> yeah, you probably want to be a high value target. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, well, I mean, they're they are spearing you with a very pointy, pointy spear because yes, exactly. they not only are, have figured out where you are, but they have figured that out by knowing who you are and you allowing them to converse with you. That's right. So this is going to be part of a bigger. Narrow. Exactly. This is a part of a bigger campaign, right? They have decided sure. to use every tool at their disposal to go after you. Right. And this will be a part so of So they're social engineering you in other ways too. Yeah. Precisely. However, I'm not done with reasons to put your hair out. Because <laughs> they have to have really targeted you. They have to have done this benchmarking. They have to have permission to message you. And at the moment in time they do the attack, you have to have the messaging app open. Because push notifications don't come instantly. Apple bunches them and delivers them in groups. Which completely and utterly destroys the timing data. Okay. So 
There are three really good reasons not to set your hair on fire. Apple or Android. Android too, not just Apple. Exactly. It doesn't matter who's doing the Windows, right? Because with the push notification, the way it really works is that their server talks to the operating system provider server, which collects the messages until it feels it's an appropriate moment and then hands them over to the device. So immediately there's a whole layer of, that just ruins your timing, right? You're going on accurate timing as a whole basis of your side channel. Gone, right? Totally gone. Uh, And then the other thing is, this is trivial to defeat. Throw in (laughs) a small amount of random delay into the code for the status update. Just a small amount, just code it in. A random wait between one and five seconds or whatever. The entire Really? That that changes? Okay. So that's not changing when the information gets sent back and forth. It's how long it's taking and a difference of a second. Yeah, exactly. You throw in a random wait between one bit of the process and another somewhere. Right. Let me finish what I was saying because I was trying to see if I understand. And you said no, but then you sounded like you agreed with me. Uh, This random bit of wait time uh, doesn't change when the message gets sent. It's how long the, the route takes, which is what they're trying to use in order to know where you are. Well, they're looking for a round trip. Right, so, the route. So I said, not, okay, not right, how yeah, long the message... Okay, we are on the same page. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah they can't it's change the, the ISP's of, network. Right. But they can't control either of the two ends and just slow it down. Just throw in yeah, a random okay. weight. <laughs> so so that one got uh, a big fact, hoo-ha, but it wasn't. Huh? Yeah. Which, in fact, it's so easy to fix that uh, Threema have already committed the code and it's going to be in the next update. Who's Threema? They are one of the secure ones, actually. Three are the ones where you have three different colors for someone who uh, you start off as an orange tick. Wait, is it an, an app? Is it an ISP? Yes. What is three? Thre- I don't know what you're talking about. is like Signal, only slightly ah, different. It's a secure messaging it's app. It's an app. It's a really secure never heard. messaging app. Oh, okay, you never heard. Enough Leo. <laughs> Leo got completely nuts on Threema for years. They have a really interesting idea, actually. So if, you're, if we're a contact on Threema, there's a level of confidence in our contact. It's not just yes, no. It's orange, it's red, orange, green, which is why three. So complete randomer. You've just messages around three, mate. You have no proof that you are who you say you are. Red, right? You could be anyone. So you show up as red in the contact list. If hmm. I'm a contact of you and you're a contact of your friend with the cool penguin and you connect me to your friend with the cool penguin, we go orange because there is a, an indirect connection between me and that person. Okay. If you and I are in the same room, we scan a QR code on each other's phone, we turn green. We have verified to each other that we are, we the human, are we the contact. So that's so three, you and I of could confidence. only you and I could only attain green status if I fly to uh, Ireland again. Mm. No, we could hold up our phones to the Skype call or whatever. Oh, okay. All right. Right? So well, but that is, again, we, no, have, hmm. we have done an exchange of QR code where we know if we trick ourselves, the app doesn't care if we're tricking ourselves. Like, what? The whole point of this is a mechanism for you to be confident. So if you want to trick yourself, fair enough. I mean, we could print the QR code out and stick it in the post. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just a really good way of marking people's level of how sure are you that they are who they say they are. It's actually a really cool idea, and it's all really cryptographically secure. So, so Threema, I am not surprised, were very on the ball in replying to these security researchers. They said in the reply, we fixed it, but you know something, this is a really unrealistic attack, and we don't think anyone's in any danger. But we did fix it. So huh. anyway, it made a lot of news because, of course, the headline just says, three major privacy apps reveal your location. 
Um, actually, here's the actual headline. Timing attacks on WhatsApp, Signal and Threema can reveal user location. Factually true. <laughs> Completely the wrong tone. Right, right. But a great opportunity to talk about side channels, because it's a very fascinating, it's really difficult. Like, um, the oldest side channel that you used to get was you'd have a website with two error messages. One for, I have no idea what your username is, and one for, oh, that's the wrong password. Which immediately leaks information about who has an account on the server. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a side channel that's like so blaring, it's almost a front channel. But a more subtle version of that is a failed password takes 10 seconds to reply, but a failed username takes one. Because it just goes to the database and says, no, you're not here and return straight away. So a lot of code actually has timed wait so that the number of operations between yes and no is the same. Even if some of those operations are just while doing nothing or while I is less than Make sure you nothing. hit this time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that there's the same amount of CPU ticks between yes and no. Fascinating. Stuff the, uh, there's a, a phrase in uh, telecommunications called a carrier wave. And I think of these mm. as like carrier waves where you've got a, a main, you know, sinusoid going on, but then you've got this other information that's traveling along with it. And I always think of that for, for this sort of uh, channel. What did you call it? Channel? Side channel. Is Side channel. Name for it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's, it's an interesting idea and very difficult to protect against all side channels. They're sneaky. Very sneaky. But cool. <laughs> So deep dive number two, then, I had real trouble naming, uh, which is why the name goes across multiple lines. Apple improved its engagement with the security community because there's just a bunch of little stories, but I couldn't, I couldn't fit them in the main news because there's a little bit more here than a sentence, but there's not that much here all the same. Okay. So of all of the major operating system vendors, Apple tend to come in for the most criticism from the security community because they have a tendency to be secretive about things, which is not a good fit with security. And they're quite fond of doing things their own way. The fact that the rest of the industry will, you know, have a schedule for releasing security updates has never impacted Apple's approach to anything ever, right? They just, they do they, right? Which is fine, I guess, but it makes the security community cranky. And so there's been a lot of criticism of Apple. But they've had another go at mending fences. And the most visible part of this is they've released a new portal for security researchers so that they can more easily find how do I submit a bug? You know, where's the bug bounty program? All of the information security researchers would need to know is now available at the amazingly simple URL, security.apple.com. So... That's it. So it's not just a PR site about how secure they are. It's got ways to uh, inform. Okay, so it does have read the latest from us, but then it's got ways for you to get into the security bounty. Oh, and they made it pretty. They it's very apple it Yes. <laughs> it also has like, uh, there's, a, there's a link there to their uh, security platform paper, which describes the actual security implemented in their platform. So how does oh. iOS secure things? How does iCloud secure things? How do you report a bug? All that kind of valuable stuff. So it's actually a genuinely useful resource if you're a, you know, goody security researcher. So that There's is even nice a, to do. a way to apply for a job at Apple in security. Yeah, I thought that was actually a really good idea. It's like, why do we, why do we put our... Put We've our got them right here. Right here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, which is good, right? So that's the first bit of good news. Uh, the second thing then is getting a lot of people cranky and I don't understand why they're cranky because I think it's a good news story, but half the internet thinks I'm an idiot. So I will let you judge my idiocy. <laughs> so we have known for a long time that every time Apple do a new operating system, 
it's always more secure than the one before because they add new security features every time. So if you want to be the most secure, it has always been the case that you should be on the latest because they tighten up the sandboxes, they add in some extra firewall features, like they keep on making security better every single time. We also know that when they release a security update, the newest operating system always gets it immediately and then it's often a day or two before the older ones get it. We've also known forever that the number of patches in the newest OS is greater than the number of patches in the older OSs because the triage level... Oh yeah, we've known that for ages, like the CVE numbers. No, we, okay, well, I've known that for years. It may have been something I've just taken for granted. And so you mean there, if it says, me. but they don't usually tell us how many things and what things were fixed. No, they tell us what how they have fixed. What they don't tell us is what they haven't fixed. But if you consolidate the lists, so bugs are catalogued with CVE numbers, and I should remember that acronym, but that one's fallen out of my head. Um, but there are these horrible numbers that start with the year and then end up with a depressing amount of digits because it's actually a counter for how many security vulnerabilities are known about that year. And Common vulnerabilities new. and exposures. Ah, yes, because it's part of the database of con- common vulnerabilities and exposures. And it's terrifying how big those numbers are because they're counters. So when you see right. CVE 2022, 1234567891010, that's how many bugs there have been that year. But they aren't just for Apple, they're for everybody, no, no, they're right? For the official Every, list of everything. So vulnerability is a very broad term. So it can even be things like hardware products that if you stick your finger in wrong, it'll blow your head off or something. Like <laughs> it, it's a, it is quite generic. It's more of a SCADA thing. But anyway. It's okay, so generic. you were saying that, uh, I interrupted you because I didn't understand this, but you're saying that there are more things get fixed in the newer ones than get fixed yes. in the older ones? Yes, because the triage level, like every company triage is what they fix. Because if it's just not dangerous... It's like, yeah, it's a bug. Yeah, it might make someone cranky. It might make the odd crash or whatever. But they're all triaged because there's finite time and there's infinitely many bugs. So the triage level so has always been So by triage, different. you mean prioritized and the, and the ones below a certain threshold don't get fixed in the older ones, but the ones above do. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. There's a, right. So there's always a triage. There's some bugs that just don't get fixed ever. But there are more bugs make the cut in the newest OSs than in the older OSs. And the difference, and anything that's being actively exploited just makes the cut, no matter what OS it's in. And Apple will, in fact, even backport fixes to stuff they've officially stopped supporting when they see it attacked in the wild. So mm-hmm. we sometimes see that where all of a sudden right, we right. out of the blue and update to iOS 14 or something. So mm-hmm. we have, if you've watched Apple, you know what Apple have been doing, and they've been doing it for a decade. They never said it. They just did it. They never described their process. They just, they did them. Now they've written it down. And some people are losing their ever-loving mind. Oh my God, if I'm not on the very latest iOS, I'm insecure. Well, no. You're just not getting... Well, you are less secure. You're less, but that was always... This this isn't just bugs, though. This isn't just bugs. You're talking about security vulnerabilities. All of it, right? Right, but anything that's going to cause you an actual danger is going to make the triage cut off. So the, the ones that don't get done are the ones that are really difficult and are more likely to just make you have something crash than to actually hack you to pieces. Okay, so now I'm confused again. Let me back up and okay. say what I thought we heard. I thought you were talking about the number of CVEs that were fixed for the new one versus the old one was different. Yes. And that, that the yes. difference was the lower priority... CVEs didn't get fixed mm-hmm. for the older operating system. So that's not yes. just bugs. Those are CVEs. Those are vulnerabilities, exposures. They're not sure. just bugs. They're not, I pressed this button and the wrong window opened. 
they are no, security things. Actually can be because that's technically a security issue because hypothetically someone could trigger that to make it run arbitrary code most probably. Okay, so but a lot they're, of those... they're, they're not just bugs. They're, they are security vulnerabilities and exposures that don't get fixed in the older one. Therefore, by definition, you are less secure, no? Yes, absolutely, sure. Okay, like you, you've always you been is what no. I started off saying. Oh, no, no, right, no. You but, said the person comes to you and says, oh, no, I'm on the old one. I'm not as secure. And you said, no, not really. Well, they, not it is practically. Not in terms of okay, actual real-world okay. risk. Right. Okay. So, All right. Okay. So basically, do I set my hair on... So it's a bit like our previous story. Technically speaking, there is a serious vulnerability in the ones that are not threema. But is it really? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Okay. It, so it's that same sort of thing. Basically, that threema bug would not make the cut. But, you know, as Zero Day has found affecting iOS 14, I'm pretty sure Apple will patch it, even though iOS 14 is ancient. In fact, we've seen them do mm-hmm. it. We've seen them go back ridiculously far in their patches. So right. all they've done is written down what they've been doing for years. So there's no need to panic. There's no need to change what you're doing. This is just Apple saying what they've been doing. So now we don't just have to judge them by their deeds. They're, they've explained it. Now, And transparency is good. a good thing. Absolutely. So I think this is good because they're, they're more in line with everyone else by actually putting it down. But I was going to say on paper, but I don't think there was a tree involved <laughs> anywhere um, by typing it. But this is good and I think it's positive. But the next thing I'd like them to do is I'd like them to describe the criteria. Because other companies actually will tell you what the criteria are for something being patched straight away in the next major update, never. right? They'll have rules for... Now, they're not hard and fast rules. There's always a judgment yeah, call, but they will have... Like a judge in a court, they are reading a law and then interpreting it. Well, mm-hmm. you will have guidelines, which are then interpreted by the company. And then you have Maybe all they're sorts sentencing of like guidelines. Decisions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have people like Steve Gibson going, I mean, Microsoft, say they're not patching this, but I mean, clearly this meets their definition. And I'm like, no, because when I read the definition, I think it doesn't. You read the definition, you think it does, and Microsoft thought it didn't. But at least they exist. At least you have some sort of idea of what it is that they're vague. You know, it may be scattershot. If you sort of imagine like a target, you know, with arrows fired at it. They're not all exactly on target, but at least you have some sort of idea what counts as we'll patch this. Like this. It's a vague idea what doesn't doesn't get patched or what the logic is or what the thinking is. So, you know, Apple, if you're listening, now you have a nice website. The next piece of content you could post would be your criteria <laughs> for whether you make the cut for uh, an update versus an upgrade. Give it's it a minute, they're going to want a mile. <laughs> absolutely, right? They're never going to be happy. Um, so I sandwich the story people are cranky about between good news, I say good, other people say bad, and I'm going to end on good news again because that's a good thing to do. So at one of the recent WWDCs, it must have been this summer, Apple announced that they were going to release a special iPhone that didn't need to be jailbroken to run custom software, that you could tweak the kernel and install anything you want and SSH into it. And it was designed for security researchers so that they could actually research iOS without needing to crack it open first. That is now available to be applied for at security.apple.com. You can log in and apply. It is only being made available to uh, bona fide researchers. So you have to fill in a form and justify getting one. But they are now available to be applied for. And Apple are calling them the Apple Security Research Device. The Hmm. SORD. You can apply for your SORD if you meet the criteria. Well, as uh, as a security professional, Bart, are you going to apply for one? 
Yeah, somehow I think it was it. So what's your experience of finding bugs? Um, <laughs> I read the CVE database from time to time. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so well, I think that's really good. So you don't know what it says. <laughs> right. So anyway, there we go. There are two deep dives. So business as usual then. Action alerts. Patchy, patchy, patch, patch time. Zoom for the Mac got a pretty nasty bug that uh, sort of allowed your, I can't remember if it was the webcam or the mic or both, but basically when the app wasn't running, it wasn't quite turning off things. So That was quite a while ago. That's uh, not well, really another one. Of, there was another one a week or two ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks yeah. ago, I think. Yeah. Let, let, but it happened, I think I saw it on my RSS feed like on Monday after we recorded oh, okay. it last Sunday. Okay. You know, I think it's as long ago as it can be. It. Yeah, Uh, because it was at the very, very bottom of my uh, feed. Um, So it was the oldest. Um, Google Chrome has gotten an urgent zero-day fix. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Mm. And then if you're in Apple land, patchy, patchy, patch, 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 because Apple were very Mm. busy. So macOS Ventura came out, which is cool. And uh, iOS 16.1 came out for iPads, because iPads hadn't got to play the new hotness. So both Ventura and i pad os 16.1 are absolutely wedged full of security updates because particularly the io ipad os one has to catch up on everything that happened in i ios 16 and the jump to 16.1 so there's lots and lots of security stuff to catch up on on that and ventura so I has quite a bit i installed 16 uh i was 16 on the uh, ipad os 16 on day one and it was already 16.1 yes they, they released it at one which means they have so it didn't have prepared- to be patched okay but I'm, okay sorry what i was trying to say is that it contains lots of security updates because it's everything from ios 15 point whatever the last one was and all the stuff that was fixed in 16.0 on the iphone and all the stuff that was fixed on 16.1 in the iphone so okay. that's it's a bumper edition and if you don't want to upgrade because apple that was the that was the thing apple made really clear in their document update versus upgrade so your update will be to 15.7.1. And you really, really must be sure that if you're staying on iOS 15, that you go to 15.7.1, because 15.7.1 and 16.1 both fix a nasty zero day. So either upgrade or update, but patch. Okay. And there are also updates for uh, Monterey and Big Sur, for the people who don't want to go to Ventura. Right. Patchy, patchy, patch, patch. And if you're wondering why I keep saying you should patch, we have um, a responsible disclosure. So a while back, we now know that a security researcher properly reported to Apple that there was a bug that allowed Siri to do the same thing that Zoom was just patched for here, where Siri could keep listening in the background by mistake. That has been patched. And if anyone who did the patchy, patchy, patch, patch thing, I think it was patched a while ago, is good. And that's how it's supposed to work. So the more of these research devices Apple give out and stuff, the more of these kind of stories we'll get. So if you didn't patch, you would have been vulnerable. But all of you good people who did, you never had a problem because it was reported, it was patched, all in the past. I like it. I just hope they paid off the uh, security researcher appropriately. Yes, that bug bounty program, that is another criticism that they're a bit penny-pinchy with the paying out and the bug bounties. Yeah. doesn't seem good. But anyway, apparently they say they're going to get better. We shall see. Moving on to worthy warning territory. Um, Sometimes we get examples of the right way to respond to a breach, and sometimes we get the opposite. There is a ticketing company called C, 
who definitely count as the opposite. Two and a half years they were leaking name, address, zip code, payment card number, card expiry date and CVV number. Seriously? Seriously. And even when they were told there was probably a problem, they were months into looking into it. If you read the story on Naked Security, it'll just make your blood pressure go through the roof. So I don't do the whole concert thing. So I don't know how... I don't know how big CR or how small CR, but I haven't heard of them. Years, but they probably geez. messed up a lot of people. Yeah, and their wow. advice is to check your credit card statement. So there you go. <laughs> Do that. Um, a story which sounds scarier than it is. A hospital group in Illinois and Wisconsin called the Advocate Aurora Health or AHA had a data leak of their own making, their own discovery and their own fixing, and they didn't leak it to criminals, they accidentally leaked it to big tech companies, mostly Google. What they did was they installed analytics software to see how their patients were using the app so they could figure out which features were getting used and which features weren't and where people ran into difficulty, and they misconfigured the bejesus out of it. And they accidentally ended up sending... IP address was obviously going to get sent, fair enough, but appointment information, including scheduling type, proximity to facility, provider information, digital messages, first and last names, insurance data, and my chart account information. But no payment details. And they gave it to Google. They basically Did Google accidentally give had it all back or up deleted? Google Analytics. I think they deleted their analytics account and asked the data to be destroyed. So basically, they did it. Mm-hmm. They found it. They fixed it. So it's like, wow. well, mostly good. <laughs> going to mess up. Better that you find it. <laughs> the bad guys. And it was wow. all encrypted in transit and stuff. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. probably fine. They also proactively reported what they had done instead of trying to hush it up. Ah, oh, there you go. So You, you get know, points for that. You do get points for that. You really do. Moving on to notable news then. Um, do you remember log for shell a few months ago? Was this nasty big Java problem? Yeah, that was that's probably pushing a year ago, isn't it? It might just be. You know, it actually might just be. Well, there's been a few other lesser ones because obviously when attackers find a place that is, you know, a, a field full of interesting things, they keep poking about and lo and behold... 11 months ago. Uh, November 2021. Nine out of ten, then, for almost being perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So, another one has surfaced. It's another really common Java package called Apache Commons Text, which, just like Log4Shell, is a problem with parsing text, and if you parse the text, it gets run through a processor that does things like call a URL with the data you've entered in and all these kind of things. So if a bad guy can shove text into Apache Commons Text, that bad guy, bad person, not bad guy, baddie. The body can do terrible things. And the default before the fix was to allow filters like contact this server, contact this URL were turned on by default. So the person using the library would never have intended the text patterns to trigger URL lookups and stuff. But the default was to turn on all the silly features that should never have been added. So Mm. the update was to turn off all the silly features that should never have been added. This is much less dangerous than log4shell because all data sanitation should be done before passing information into Apache Commons text. So any website that was vulnerable to this bug is vulnerable in general. 
it's just this bug is like a multiplier effect on the vulnerability. It's like you've done something dangerous. Oh, and it's exploded in your face. Whereas without this bug, you've just done something dangerous that could explode in your face. <laughs> it's a really common library. It's all over the place. So there's going to be an awful lot of sysadmins scanning an awful lot of servers looking for uh, Apache commons.jar files all over the place. So I think it's time to buy your friendly neighborhood sysadmin another coffee. <laughs> and don't panic if you're a home user. You're fine. Um. Maybe need to get a double coffee because OpenSSL have pre-announced that they will be announcing a critical bug on the 1st of November. So they haven't told us what it is, but they have told us that it's bad enough to tell us that it's going to happen and that they will tell us the details on the 1st of November when we should all patch our systems before the baddies get to it first. Yikes. So and that's actually kind of a good idea, though, to tell you what day you need to be, you know, standing with fingers poised above your keyboard, ready to to fix the problem. Yes, and it's it's the kind of thing that a bit of like a boy cried wolf. If you do it too often, no one will believe you. But the OpenSSL people have not done it too often. I think the last everyone remembers Heartbleed, and that was the last major major problem with OpenSSL. So when when OpenSSL said we have a biggie and it's coming out on the first of November, everyone paid attention. Um, so yeah, there are, there are lots of places with sysadmins going. So those five servers, first thing Tuesday morning. So a nice coffee will do them. The world are good. Um, now if you would like to do some experimentation and playing and having some fun, DuckDuckGo have some software for you to experiment with. The beta version of their Mac browser is available. I installed it and it, first impressions are actually really good. It's nice. It's slick. It's fast. And... They have built in some intelligence. I don't know if it's artificial or just, you know, programmed. But anyway, they have built in some intelligence where they can intercept those pop-up warnings you get everywhere and click the right options for you entirely automatically. So I tested it by going to Ars Technica and the pop-up flashed on screen for a second and I saw them expand the bit that says show me more details because Ars Technica is one of those sites where there's no button saying no. You have to go in and say show me more and then you can say no. Oh, I, I, saw I, it open I hate it, it when you have to say no, no, no. Or that's even worse, yeah. So I saw the browser open it up, expand it out, take the right button and close it down in about a second. It was just like a little flash and it's done. And then there was a very happy warning in the address bar saying cookies managed, which made me think of Hogwarts, you know, mischief managed. Cookies managed. <laughs> So I do want to say, point out that there's probably a lot of people who haven't experienced exactly what we're talking about. You have because of GDPR and I have because of the California laws, but people not in California, not in Europe may or may not have seen these. Um, They basically are letting you choose to have mandatory cookies that like the website doesn't work properly if you don't have them. And then there's all the advertising cookies and they, some of them are real nice. They just have a, a, a button that says, please don't sell my data. And those are the mm. really nice ones. But, but uh, the one that drives me crazy is, um, Oh, what's the site? We go to search for everything for programming. Um, Stack overflow. Blank. Stack overflow. I have to I have to hit like five buttons in order to turn it off. And at first I was really annoyed. And then I and I I thought, yeah, but I'm being given the opportunity. And without these, I can choose not to press all the buttons, but at least I have the opportunity to stop it, whereas people in other states don't. I think most websites present the same interface around the world. So I think most people actually okay. I don't many think websites that's do. true. Ma- I many- don't think I think that's location based. 
I know that on many sites it's not because it's easier not to do that in your code. But I am sure both of us are correct. Yeah, look, Have I you... can't teleport myself, but I my understanding of actually we can, you... Bart. We can. I could pick a VPN server in a in a different state. <laughs> That would be, be interesting yeah, to see anyway. what would happen. Yeah, yeah. Or listeners, actually, we have a giant big community, podfeet.com forward slash Slack. You people live all over the place, not just in Europe and California. What do you people see Let on the internet? <laughs> yeah, how... Right, I'm not going to turn on my VPN while we're chatting. I can't see how that could possibly break a Zoom call. No idea <laughs> how that could be a problem. So, DuckDuckGo, that's some fun to play with. Um, uh, the US state of New York has fined the fashion brand, I'm going to call it Sheen, a whopping $1.9 million because of a data breach they had in 2018. And the reason they're getting fined is because A, they were not just like not good at their job, they were careless, and B, they tried to cover it up. So they were they were bad to the point of it being like, you know, criminally negligent. And then they tried to cover it up. And uh, so the state of New Yorkers fined them. And I hope that is a deterrent to... Or a, an incentive, perhaps, for chief financial officers to say yes to things when the security team come in and say, um, we have to we tell need people. Some resources. <laughs> but no, no, even before then, we need some resources so we don't end up having to tell people, followed by, oh dear, you were too slow, we know how to tell people. But either way, th- this should be an incentive for companies to do the right thing. This data and breach then, was two year, four years ago. Yes, the legal process is not quick. <laughs> Never quick, but it is, you know, it, it, it is not. Well, if they covered it up, maybe they only found out a year ago. Who knows? You know, I did actually read it, but it was earlier in the month and I forget the details now, but it didn't make me happy. So it made me quite cranky. Well, though, um, there was a nice, there was a nice dig by Letitia James. She said, it's not fashionable to be bad at security. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's great. Now, um, I want to end the news section with a piece of good news from the United States. You have a new stamp that is available to you, Mm -hmm. celebrating the World War II code breakers, who were largely STEM pioneers who happened to be women who did really important work at breaking, particularly in America, there were Japanese codes that were being very effectively broken. Um, slightly held by the hubris that the Japanese couldn't comprehend that their ciphers could possibly be broken. While <laughs> there was a whole bunch of extremely intelligent mathematicians bashing through them at an impressive rate and saving ships and saving all sorts of things because they knew what the enemy thought we didn't. Very impressive. I read a nice article from Naked Security explaining the work they did, how important it was, what it was, also some references to the, because the same sort of thing was happening on the other side of the pond in a place called Bletchley Park in the United Kingdom, where they also had a vast army of mostly female code breakers doing similar work. Uh, but they were helped by some computer guys you may have heard of called Alan Turing, who built them some mm-hmm. computers and stuff. But very much from that same era and that same sort of mathematics becoming computer science, that, that sort of point in history, you linked in our Slack at pivot.com forward slash Slack to the obituary to a really impressive early computer scientist I had never heard of called Kathleen Booth, who basically invented assembly language. And I'd never yeah. heard of her. How is that possible? And I'm going to give credit to, it was Rose Matthews uh, who sent it to us. 
uh, who gave it to me, and then I put it in Slack, but she sent it directly to me. But yeah, she was 100 years old, and she invented assembly language, and I didn't know that. So the first assembly language was by a woman, and the first compiler was by a woman, Grace Hopper. How do we not and know all the this, right? concept of a programming language is by Ada Lovelace. She, she wrote, she programmed a computer that only existed in her mind. But it's amazing. And the other thing that's amazing about this, so all of our computers implement something called the von Neumann architecture, which is the idea that instructions and data can be the same thing. And the CPU hmm. can read from the same thing. So your hard drive contains your photos and the photos app. That was not true before the von Neumann architecture. The early computers had code tapes and data tapes. And the concept that code is data was, that was a leap of abstraction no one had made until von Neumann. And von Neumann mm. was seen as a bit of a crank. And the first person to turn von Neumann's idea into a physical machine that executed code was Kathleen Booth. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, there were people who made computers before this. But the computers we're talking on now are of the model first made by Kathleen Booth. And I'd never heard of her name. And I mm. have an honours degree in computer science. <laughs> I, yeah, I know Church, I know we Turing, I know all of these people. Why were none of these people on my courses? Why were they yeah. not in there? Yeah. Keep making. So it is fun to discover. Well, I would have liked to discover before she was dead. <laughs> you know, nice. Anyway. Absolutely. So that was kind of a semi-palate cleanser, but uh, we do have a, a palate cleanser, palate cleanser, which again came to us. Via, no, it didn't come to us via the yeah, Slack. I'm going to give it via a listener, though. This was listener David Bogdan, and I want to talk about this one. This is the, okay. the most hilarious video. It's 30 minutes long, and I have no patience for watching long-form video on YouTube. I do not watch long-form. If it's more like two or three minutes, I'm out, unless I found it on my own, in which case I might watch longer. But it is, it's a video about why the, long, the longest English word is papal, P-A-P-A-L, as in of the Pope, and spa is the pointiest. And it's this super hardcore math nerd guy who explain, who goes through and calculates. He, he creates a, a, a database of the distances between the keys on a standard uh, keyboard. And, and the, not just the distances, but he, he inputs it all as vectors. So he, he actually ends up using the cross product of vectors, which I swear to you, I have not used once since I got out of college. And I had forgotten product. the term you even exists. I'm sorry, dot product. Dot product no, is what both. I meant. Yeah. He did, no, he did both. Right. When he had dot, dot product, I just cracked up. But his, his delivery is hysterical. And there's, there's no redeeming value to this entire video, but it is absolutely, it's delightful from the beginning to the end. I liked it so much, I watched all the way through his ad for PIA, uh, the the VPN that I have been endorsing, and I, I know everything about it, and I still watched him because he was so much fun to watch. Well, I was watching it, and my darling beloved shouted downstairs, that sounds like the stand-up mathematician, or mathematician. I was like, how did you know that? His videos oh, are amazing. Knew him. Yeah, he knew. Uh, uh, I got to go back. I got to go back and just put that on the feed to, to watch all the time. I'm not very yeah. good at just watching. I'm good at watching video that gets sent to me as a podcast, but going to YouTube, I just don't do that naturally. So somebody has to send me a link. I don't, I'm going to add that to my workflow. Workflow. Yeah. And <laughs> anyway, I enjoy your appetite. Look at your keyboard. Look at it right now. Why do none of the letters line up? Watch the video mm. and you'll know. There's a really good reason why none of the letters line up. Really good. And that That's one I actually did know. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it's yeah, a total so much fun. There's no, yeah, there's no reason for it still to be true in 2022. And yet, same reason for for the widths of widths of uh, tires, right? <laughs> or oh, the, no, yeah, is the it trains? Railway lines. Yeah, railway lines, railway lines, yeah. Because it's to do with the with the width of Roman horses, donkeys. the Roman carriages. It was yeah, all the the, the Roman roads. Yeah, and the reason the carriages were as far apart because you had to fit two horses between the wheels without the horses getting you know hit by the wheels, <laughs> and that made the roads, and that made the railway lines, and that made the tunnels. And ah, no, the, you're missing the punchline. The width of the solid rocket boosters on the space shuttle are the width they are because of railway tunnels, <laughs> which are the width they are because of two horses' bottoms. <laughs> Gotta love it. Exactly. All right, we can't possibly end with a better palate cleanser there. Indeedy. So folks, remember, as always, stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Did you know you can email me at allison at podfeet.com anytime you like? Remember, we're still taking submissions for the I'm still using it. In fact, um, we've got a flame war being planned with two people doing uh, I'm still using it of opposing technologies. That I sure hope that one actually happens. That sounds really fun. So if there's a piece of software, there's a piece of hardware, uh, some kind of tech gadget that's just, you realize, man, I've been using that a long time. That's one that I should tell people about because it's still nifty. Please send it in and you do that by emailing me with a subject I'm still using it. I've got a bunch of them and I'm really looking forward to that helping me out with uh, Thanksgiving week probably and maybe into Thanksgiving if we get enough of them. And uh, let's see, you can also follow me on Twitter at PodFeet. And if you want to join in the fun of the conversation, you absolutely should go to our Slack community at podfeet.com slash Slack. You can talk to me, you can talk to Bart and all of the other lovely NoSilla castaways. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You can support the show at podfeet.com slash Patreon or with a one-time donation at podfeet.com slash PayPal. Please consider going and doing that. It really helps keep the show on the road. And if you want to help join in the fun of the live show, help head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways and get to watch the sausage get made as we change tools. It's all very exciting. It's been a lot of fun this week. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.